Well, good morning. Yeah, it's good to see you today. I fully recognize whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online that there's probably about eight other things you could be doing this morning, but yet uh, you made the choice to do this. And, and just for what it's worth, let me just say, that is an encouragement. Whether you recognize it or not, even without you know, the usage of words, your presence is an encouragement to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when they see you, um, you know, that, that you're prioritizing, you know, worshiping the Lord and all. And online, you can make comments and people see that. I mean, that's going to communicate something beneficial. Here, they just see you physically, and that communicates something. And I know we got some that are here that uh, are in the middle of some pretty significant health battles. And it takes like three times or four times the amount of effort to be here than what it used to take. Uh, and yet you come and you're here. And I just want you to know that that um, encourages people volumes. I don't even know if that's the right word to use, but, but a huge amount, starting with me, you know, when I see that. And so like Jan, when I... When I see the amount of effort that, that you go to and in being here, that just, it does my heart good. And, and, and I'm saying that to others as well, people that have shoulder surgeries and they come in and they've got the immobilizer. And, and I haven't had one of those, but I can just imagine the, the kind of pain associated with that. And, and I just want to thank you for the encouragement by your presence that you give your brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, I've got a really, really short sermon, so I had to burn up a couple minutes there. So, um, yeah, and I don't have a short sermon. All right, I would, I would venture to guess that most every one of us has a favorite passage in the Bible. For some of you, maybe it's a, it's not really a, just a small passage or a verse, it's an entire chapter, like David and Goliath, that chapter, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that chapter, you know, relating to the fiery furnace. Or, or maybe it's, it's a, a smaller, you know, group of verses, like five or six verses, like the Beatitudes, or Psalm 23, you know, and that's a favorite of a lot of people. But probably for the majority of people that are gathered here today and who are watching online, it comes down to a particular verse that is your favorite verse. Now, last week we talked about one that was Audrey's, and it has been Audrey's for over 40 years, okay? That's pretty exceptional for the same verse to be their favorite verse for that long. Uh, but today, um, we've got Romans chapter 12, verse 2. That was a favorite verse that was expressed in the June prime time. It's kind of funny that in small group settings, when I ask the question, you know, write it down, what's your favorite verse? Or when I do that sometimes on Sunday morning and ask you to write it on your connection card, it seems like there is always at least one person that writes down Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And this time, it was Ron Stern who wrote that down. 
Hello, my name is Ron, and my favorite Bible verse is Romans 12:2. Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Apostle Paul wrote those words about 2,000 years ago, but they're obviously very applicable today in the world we live in. If we spend any time at all listening to the radio, watching television, and social media, the world is telling us what is good is bad, and the world is telling us what is bad is good. As believers, we have to be very careful not to listen to what the world is telling us, but we have to remember what God has told us in his word. All right, so um, when we ask people to write down what their favorite verse was, and then from that, Kurt and I, we selected certain ones that are a part of this message series. Uh, the thing that the people didn't realize is that uh, we were going to, the ones that we selected, we were going to go back to them and say, we want to shoot a video of you now. And I think they probably, you know, might, some of them might not have participated. Now, now Ron probably would have still, but, uh, but there have been some others that, uh, you know, are pretty camera shy. But we appreciate, you know, the personal touch of, of what Ron had to share. So his verse, favorite verse, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Now, what he had quoted was the New Living Translation. That's at the top of the slide. Um, and, but probably what most of us are more familiar with is the NIV, and that's at the bottom. So let me read that one. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, this is found in the book of Romans. Romans is 16 chapters long, and perhaps you've heard this explanation before. It's divided into two sections. The first 11 chapters are basically doctrinal in nature. The last five chapters are practical. So during the first 11 chapters, it's talking about stuff like the sinfulness of sin and how we've all got skin in that game. We all have sinned, but yet we are justified by faith. That is all detailed and spelled out in the first 11 chapters. But then when you get to chapter 12, verse 1, you have the word therefore. That's a transitionary word. We, the verse we talked about last week wasn't Romans 12, verse 1, but I did bring up that verse last week, and you'll recall where it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. And the point that I was making last Sunday is that basically uh, what Paul is calling people to do, in view of everything that God has done for us, we should crawl up on the altar and offer ourselves lock, stock, and barrel to him. 100% fully devoted to him. And that was along the lines of what last week's message was. Now, what does that look like, though, to, to be fully devoted to him? Well, I think Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is where it all begins. You know, as far as this practical side of living a fully surrendered life to God. 
And it's saying, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Back about 70 years ago, there was a fellow by the name of J.B. Phillips who made a translation of the Bible. It never got uh, a whole lot of traction, um, but, uh, but for some, it got a following. Um, and, and the reason why I think with some it connected was that he had a knack of using certain phrases in ways that people really weren't used to reading in the Bible, but it really was expressive. And, and Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is one of those. In the J.B. Phillips translation, it's worded like this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And that's a great way, the beginning of that verse. That's a great way of expressing it. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And a big part of the point that Paul is making is that we, we got to resist the squeeze. We're all going to experience it to one degree or another. The squeeze of conformity, the squeeze of just fitting in, the squeeze of going with the flow. Well, what's so wrong with that? What's so wrong with me having values that reflect the values of the world in general? Well, I'll show you what's wrong with that. The Apostle John said it this way in 1 John 5, verse 19. says, we know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. That's what's wrong with that. Is because worldly influences are not going to be the kind of influences that are going to draw you closer and drive you closer to the Lord. They're going to do just the opposite of that because the devil ultimately is the one who is behind that. He is the one that is pulling those strings. Yeah, the world's going to attempt to do this. The world's going to put the squeeze on. And the squeeze, you know, looks a little different for different people. But, you know, like peer pressure, I mean, that, that's part of the squeeze that people experience. And it's not just teenagers that experience and have to battle with peer pressure. You know, even when you get out of your teens, your peer group, you still experience that. One of the things that maybe I never was paying that much attention to, but in the last 15, 20 years or so, I've been picking a whole lot more, picking up a whole lot more on is uh, um, how the expression public opinion polls are used. It seems like, you know, whenever someone is prefacing a statement or beginning an article that they have written and they're talking about public opinion polls, you know, the way, the angle from which that's going to be used is saying, see, the majority of people feel this way. And so you ought to agree with this because this is what's right. Since when have public opinion polls defined what is right? You know, and the reality of that is, in fact, that, that uh, you know, as time goes on, public opinion polls, they're going to they're, they're gonna point you a different direction. You know, and so does that mean truth is always in a state of flux? It is always changing? Or is it something that is more reliable? I believe it's something that's more reliable because God's word is truth. And truth is not defined by a public opinion poll. Sometimes the, the path of least resistance um, is, is 
the direction that that people go because uh, there's 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 uh, it just it's easy it's easier to go that path and more people are traveling that path but sometimes to go with what truth represents means you got to go against the flow you got to go upstream and that is harder so we're going to look at this verse today we're going to break this verse down and and look at what it means. Um, and the way that I'm going to break it down really is simple, but yet it's pretty profound with what is communicated here. First of all, let's just get this established. Transformation is possible. And that's at the very heart of this verse. Transformation is possible. This is part of the beauty of the message that is found in this book, the Bible. You don't have to stay the way you are. You can look in various passages of Scripture, but certainly Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is one of those that communicates that very loudly and clearly. You don't have to stay the way you are. And yes, I'm talking about your standing with the Lord, but I'm talking also about you as a person. You don't have to stay the way you are as far as your attributes, as far as your habits, as far as your actions, as far as your reactions, as far as your character. For that matter, even as far as your personality is concerned, you don't have to stay the way you are. When a person accepts Jesus into their life, things begin changing. When they, in faith, entrust their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are, cha- they are saved. But that's when a process begins happening in their life which means that they don't remain the same. It means that they won't remain the same. It's not just that God is in the saving business. God is also in the changing business. And that's a big part of what is being communicated in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here are some verses that don't use the same type of terminology, but they certainly communicate what it is that I'm trying to say. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared. A new way of living has come into existence. See, that, that has change written all over it. That, that you're not the way that you used to be. Here's another one, 1 Peter chapter 4 says, you spent enough time in the past doing what unbelievers like to do. You were promiscuous, had sinful desires, got drunk, went to wild parties, and took part in the forbidden worship of false gods. Unbelievers insult you now because they are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of wild living. See, people don't understand. People don't understand when a person gives their life to Christ and they start changing in some of these ways, people on the outside looking in, they just don't get that. They don't understand that. And so sometimes they don't know what to do with that other than to poke fun at it, especially if the numbers are in their favor and they got friends around, then they start poking fun. And that that not only happens, again, in a school or in a locker room, that happens in a workplace, in an office environment as well. Um, I, I get poked fun at all the time at work being a Christian. So, uh, no, not really. Uh, but, but you know what I'm saying here. 
Um, and, and that passage has everything to do with change being written all over it. Here's another one. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. Now, just get what's being said here. It says the grace of God teaches us to say no. No to what? Ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You see, God's grace is part of what teaches and enables us to be able to say no to some of the very things we used to um, hold tight to and we used to run with, but now we've changed. And that's the point of that passage, all those other passages, and of course, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. There are numerous examples of the change that I'm talking about that are found in the Bible, and if you've spent time reading about some of these characters in the Bible, then you'll, you'll recall some of their stories. Paul, when he first appeared in the pages of Scripture, he was known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And how should I describe him? Uh, I'll describe him with the word mean. He was mean. And I'm not going to, to use some of my own you know, descriptions of him. I'm not even going to use the words of others about him. I'm going to use his own words. Here's part of what Paul said about himself. First Timothy chapter 1, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. A couple of verses later, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now get this, what he tacks on. And I am the worst of them. And, and we're just now getting to, to the good one, the really meaty one. Um, Paul shares his testimony a couple times in the book of Acts. Look at this one in Acts chapter 26. He says about himself, I used to believe that I ought to do many horrible things to the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. I imprisoned many of the saints in Jerusalem as authorized by the high priest. And when they were condemned to death, I cast my vote against them. Now just pause there for a moment. He's saying that when someone had been arrested for being a Christian, if there was being a vote cast as far as executing them, Paul was all about that. He used whatever level of degree of influence he had to see that they were executed. And he goes on. I used torture to try to make Christians everywhere curse Christ. I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities in foreign lands. And yet what we read in the Bible is that all of that changed in regards to Paul. He, he was like a one-man wrecking crew all about wiping Jesus' name off the face of the earth. And yet he ended up becoming the premier missionary for the cause of Christ in the first century. He was all about outlawing, eliminating, removing any trace of Jesus. But then he later became a person that was all about promoting the message of the gospel which centers on Jesus Christ. You talk about change, there's some serious change there. 
Here's a couple other recognizable names, James and John. There were 12 apostles, and uh, some of them were notable characters that we know a decent amount about. Some of them we don't know that much about. Well, James and John, we do know some things about them, besides the fact that they were fishermen by trade initially. Jesus assigned to them a nickname. Remember the nickname? Sons of Thunder. Yeah, why? Well, it's because... I believe it's because they had a short fuse. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 51, you'll read an account of where Jesus and his band of merry men were leaving the region of Galilee and they were heading to Jerusalem, but yet the day was getting late. They didn't go the typical route that uh, a lot of Jewish people went because of racial tensions with the Samaritans. A lot of people would kind of do roundabout trips to avoid the land of Samaria. Jesus and his disciples went right through Samaria. And as the day was getting along, Jesus sent a couple of his disciples ahead to a village to see if arrangements could be made for them to you know, have some room and board. But as soon, as soon as the people in that village you know, picked up on the fact that this was a group of guys that were on their way to Jerusalem. They wanted nothing to do with them. They were not going to support them in any way, shape, or form. So they gave them major cold shoulder treatment. And so the word got back to Jesus and the rest of the disciples that they're, they're not. They're not even going to give us a scrap of food out of all this. Well, immediately, James and John, they come up with a solution. And they ask it in the form of a question. They ask Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn this place up? Now, you know, I read that and I'm like, could they have? I mean, did they have the ability to do that? You know, by calling upon God, would God have responded to that? Well, uh, no, I don't, I don't think that that would have been the case. But, but, but the insight here into their character and the way they're wired up is pretty telling about these guys. So Sons of Thunder, yeah, that definitely fits. But, but that's certainly not the only uh, type of uh, glimpse that we get into James and John's life. On another occasion, it's Mark chapter 10, where we read about how they went to Jesus and they had a request to ask of Jesus. Now, if you read Matthew's account of this, you see he adds the insight that they even tried to use the leverage of their mom to get this through to Jesus. But what their request was is that when you come in your kingdom, that one of us gets to sit on your right and the other one gets to sit on your left. Two prominent seats, prestigious seats in the coming kingdom. That's what they were requesting. Now, the other disciples apparently overheard this, and they, they were pretty ticked off about it, and understandably so. But, but this, this is part of what the makeup of James and John were like. Not exactly your prime candidate candidates for church leaders, right? I mean, seeing that and thinking these guys are going to be leaders in a church. Um, but sure enough, after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, they indeed are. But yet what we see is something very different in James and John. James ends up being the very first martyr among the apostles. He gives his life for Christ. He dies for the faith. 
John ends up being the one of all the apostles who writes more about the subject of love than any other apostle did. Yeah, these guys, there was a major change that took place in their life. I could use other examples. We could talk about Zacchaeus. We could add him to the list. Zacchaeus being a chief tax collector and at the expense of his countrymen was padding his own wallet and uh, um, taking advantage of people. But yet when he met Christ, man, there's a major change that takes place in Zacchaeus's life. As a matter of fact, you know, one of the quick decisions that he makes is that he's going to give half of everything he has to the poor. And he adds to that, if there's anyone that I have wronged, which is kind of like anyone, you know, it's like how long is the list? But he says, if there is anyone I have wronged, I will pay them back fourfold what I unfairly took from them. Major change. We could talk about Peter. You know, we know a lot about Peter. He's pretty prominent in the Bible. And he, he was a pretty rough character. But again, you see major change. You see, God isn't planning to leave you the same as you were when you first came to him. Now, whether that was six months ago or whether that was something that was 30, 40 years ago, God, he has no intention of leaving you the same as you were when you first embraced him. Is that good news? Well, it should be good news because he's got plans for you. And so we need to understand that transformation is possible. And you see it represented so many times in Scripture. But the other thing I want to make sure we understand, and especially when we're looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we gain an appreciation for, is that transformation is a process. It is a process. You know, as some of you, I know this is true of some of you in here, uh, and it's true of me as well. Um, I grew up in the country, always lived in the country, never lived in any kind of a town-type sitting, even a small town of three or 400 people. I never lived in anything like that all the years I was growing up. It wasn't until I went to college that I actually lived uh, in a town or a city-type uh, setting. And so for some of you that, that grew up in the country, you know, like I did, you know, you'll be able to appreciate some of the things maybe that, that I'm going to share, uh, is that th there were certain perks that city kids got that, that us country kids, the way my dad always defined it, at least this is the way he enforced it, um, was uh, the certain things that we just didn't do as country kids, because those are things that city kids do. And for example, I'm thinking of going to movies. You know, we just never went to movies. We went one time, actually, and I have no idea why um, the decision was made for us to, to, to go to a movie, but we went and saw Charlie Brown. And I remember that because it only happened one time. And there was this little uh, uh, clip uh, five, ten minutes before the actual movie started about Johnny Appleseed. I remember that, too. So it was like a bonus, you know, if, but only one time ever got to do that, you know, because that's for, as my dad would say, that was for city kids to do that. So we didn't go to movies. We, we uh, didn't go to restaurants. 
didn't go fast food, didn't go to restaurants, period. We ate meals at home or we, uh, when we were visiting relatives, grandparents, stuff like that, would eat at their house. The only exception as far as uh, eating out was concerned was that occasionally we would go in Rossville, Kansas to the American Legion where they would serve lunch. And after catechism, we would swing by there and, and have lunch once in a while. Otherwise, the whole idea of going to restaurants and stuff, no, we don't do that. Another thing we didn't, we didn't do is drink pop. Now, I want to be very clear in my pronunciation because I had one guy tell me uh, that after the upstairs service that they thought for sure I said pot, that uh, it's pop. <laughs> P-O-P here, okay? Um, but we didn't drink pop. You know, that was just, that was just a, a, you know, a perk, you know, a, a special thing that we didn't get to do with the exception of the annual community fish fry. And I love fish, always have. Um, and, uh, but you know, at the annual fish fry, I hardly ate any fish because I was trying to make up for lost time drinking all the pop I could possibly <laughs> drink till I was sick. You know, but uh, otherwise, the rest of the year, no, we didn't, we didn't drink pop. But, you know, I, I probably whined about some of that when I was young. But as I have looked back on that as an adult, uh, I'm very grateful for that upbringing and very grateful for what I was exposed to. And also just being out in nature, you know, because you kind of had to find your own entertainment a lot of times, and, and it involved being outside because we weren't supposed to be in the house, you know. And, uh, um, and I remember, like, going fishing with my dad. Some of my best memories of all are fishing with dad. And when I was real young, um, it seemed like half the time my dad was holding my fishing pole because I had a bird's nest of fishing line, and he was trying to untangle that. And, of course, I would get bored with waiting for him. So I would go to the shallow part of the pond, and I would play in the water, and I would chase after those funny-looking little critters called tadpoles, right? I mean, ha have you held tadpoles before? I mean, aren't these like the goofiest little creatures around? I mean, they're not really round, but they're kind of round, and, and they're real soft and spongy, and they got these beady little eyes that even if you don't squeeze on them, they look like those eyes are going to pop out, and, and they got this, this little mouth that is just a little circle, a tiny little circle, and otherwise, the only thing they got is a tail coming off the back end. And they're very active in the water, but boy, they are the goofiest looking thing. And, and I remember as a little kid chasing those and, and creating a little mud uh, puddle with some water in it and just collecting as many as I could. On another occasion, I would go over and do the same thing a different date. But this time I would find that there were these little scrawny, spindly little leg-like things hanging on either side of the tail. But it it was like they weren't being used. And so I remember even thinking, maybe that's a deformity or something or other. Um, I had no clue what it was, but still went ahead. Most of the tadpole was still the tadpole with the exception of that. Another time I would play with them and those legs were actually something they were beginning to use and their mouth was beginning to widen and their tail was shortening. And well, you know where this is going. You know, the, the transformation that takes place a tadpole into a, a frog. And I was able to just kind of discover that on my own. 
You know, I don't ever remember that really being explained to me until I was starting to connect the dots. And then I brought it up to my dad and he confirmed things to me. And I just thought, man, that, that is weird, that whole process. But then, like a little kid, I used to chase after butterflies like all kids do. And, uh, you know, if I didn't have an actual net, I would use a makeshift something, pillowcase, whatever it was, to try to catch butterflies. And, uh, and I remember one time, you know, my parents telling me that, you know, butterflies weren't born butterflies. And I was just like, well, that's weird. What were they born if they weren't born butterflies? And they explained about caterpillars. Well, I knew all about caterpillars. I played with caterpillars a lot. But the idea of a caterpillar is related to a butterfly, that was a foreign concept to a little kid. And, and they explained it to me, and they could tell that I didn't know if they were pulling my leg or whatever the deal was. And so Dad actually found a cocoon, a chrysalis. And he said, now this was a caterpillar. But now it's created this little chrysalis, and eventually it'll come out, and it'll be totally different. It'll be a butterfly. And so we kept that in less than two weeks. You know, it breaks out. And sure enough, it is a butterfly. You know, these caterpillars, I don't know if you know what caterpillars are all about. We think of them as being, you know, soft and fuzzy and they feel kind of funny when they're crawling on your arm and all. But all caterpillars are all about is eating. They just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And then when they are just jammed full of eating all these leaves and stuff, then that's when they go into this chrysalis and, and uh, that whole transformation starts taking place. It, it's, it's pretty incredible, but the word for all of that is the word metamorphosis. You think about a tadpole becoming a frog, you think about a caterpillar eventually becoming a butterfly, the word is metamorphosis. It is a process, it doesn't happen overnight, it takes place not from the outside in, but from the inside out. That's what metamorphosis involves. And the verb form of this word is found four times in the New Testament. Two of those times, it's in reference to Jesus talking about um, the transfiguration, um, and it uses that word. The other two times, it's used in reference to Christians. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is one of those. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be and here's the word, metamorphosized or whatever, transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the word metamorphosis there when it's talking about being transformed. Now, I'm going to take this a little deeper here, deeper than what I normally do. But this, to me, this is really insightful. This verb form of the word metamorphosis, it is passive voice, imperative and present tense. And this is part of, you know, the kind of stuff that you would learn like in a Greek class. And, and what, well, so what does that mean, passive voice? That, that is an indication that God is the one who is doing this to you. This isn't something that you've generated through willpower, through determination. I'm going to change, you know. It's, it's not something that you generate. It's something that happens to you, Okay. 
So that's what, what the passive voice conveys. Now the imperative, this, this makes it really interesting because this means that this is a command. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is a command. We have a very real responsibility in cooperating with God in this process. God is the one who is transforming us, but we are commanded to work with him on this, to, 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 uh, uh, to be responsive to him. And the third thing on the board or on the screen is that it's present tense. And what that means is that this is not something that happens at an isolated point in time like that. You know, this is something that happens over a stretch of time. It's an ongoing process. So if you have been a Christian for five years, then this is a process that you have been in now for, uh, what, 60 months. You know, this entire time. And if the Lord tarries and doesn't return for another five years, then for the next 60 months, this is a process that will continue to be happening in your life. That's what this word metamorphosis, that's what's behind this word. There's one more thing of critical importance regarding this is that the verse says that, that this metamorphosis, this transformation is happening by the renewing of your mind. Some of you in here have probably flipped a house before. You bought an old house and you didn't just remodel it. You didn't put a coat of paint and maybe some new flooring, new carpet in it and and then sold it like that. That's not what I'm talking about. You've, you've, you've gutted it. You've, you've torn out the old, put in the new. You've renovated it, okay? Something much more substantial. Some of you are talented enough. You have done that, or if you haven't, you're capable of doing it. I can't do stuff like that, even the minor repair jobs I do around my house. You know, I try not to look at very closely after I'm done because they just, they're, they're not that great. But, but when you think about that word renovate, that's what the word renewing is. When it says here that, that this metamorphosis happens by the renewing of our mind, it's the renovating of our mind. That what God's all about isn't putting a new coat of paint on your life. No, God is doing something much more substantial than that. Ripping out the old, putting in the new. And this is what the Holy Spirit specializes in. But there is something here for us to do. Because the key tool that the Spirit uses in accomplishing this all-important work is the Word of God. And this is where you and I come into play as far as getting into the Word so the Word can get into us. For most of us, when we when we want to see positive changes in our life, we focus our attention on behavior. Well, I just need to stop doing this, or I need to be more consistent in doing this. We focus on behavior. Well, that was the same mistake the Pharisees made. The Pharisees were always focused on outward actions. And that's why they took what the law was, what our Old Testament is, and they added, you know, Lots and lots more commands and rules to that. But it had everything to do with behavior of do's and don'ts as far as your actions are concerned. But the reality of the matter is behavior has roots. 
The real issue is deeper than our actions. And that's why this verse is talking about us being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It's going deeper than just the surface of our actions. And that's why you will see other passages like what Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. He said this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. You see, there is a great deal of importance with what is going on right here between your ears. The kind of thoughts, the kind of attitudes, and all that exists. This is why regular intake of God's word cannot be overemphasized. This is why we need to regularly be hearing God's word in settings like this. This is why it is critical that we're regularly spending time reading God's word. And for those of you that have been around any length of time, you know this is something I push all the time. And in fact, I'm, I'm leading a small group again this year, you know, that is all about that, which we have some people that have read the Bible all the way through, once, twice, you know, Sid says probably about five times that he has. And, but we also have just as many, if not more people that have wanted to, have had good intentions in the past, but just never got it done. They've read, they started, they stopped, they got discouraged, they got distracted, whatever the case is. But we need to give the Spirit something to work with. And that's why getting into the Word so the Word can get into us is of critical importance. And this is where uh, the imperative part of metamorphosis comes into play. That you and I, we need to be cooperating here and giving the Spirit uh, what He needs to work in our hearts. So reading God's Word, studying God's Word memorizing God's word. Every Sunday we have on the connection card, you know, a uh, memory verse, okay? That's not just for people that want extra credit, but that's, that's something that, that is part of what the Bible teaches and, and encourages us to do, to hide God's word in our heart, to spend time regularly reflecting on God's word or to use the biblical word meditating, these are all important disciplines that are taught in the scripture. When you think about the amount of time that we spend on the average, you know, with our television sets on, watching what's on TV, watching the news, reading periodicals, listening to podcasts, engaging in conversations in person or over the phone or, or whatever that are sprinkled with um, too much gossip and scuttlebutt. You know, you think about you think about all of that kind of stuff that we're internalizing, it's going to have an effect. And it's not going to be the kind of effect that God is wanting to accomplish that Romans chapter 12 verse 2 is talking about. But when we keep taking in and taking in and taking in, there should be a renovation happening, but we're kind of if we're not careful, we're going to be kind of going in reverse here with what God's stated purpose and God's will is. You remember, remember this guy? It's been a few years now, but it was 17, 18 years ago or so, you know, that he set out to eat from one fast food chain for an entire month, every meal. 
He was going to eat. He had certain basic rules he was going to follow, and that some of those included things like every, absolutely everything that was on the menu, he would eat, okay, before that month was over. Obviously, some things he'd eat more often than other things, but, but he couldn't skip anything that was on the menu. And whenever they would ask, which, by the way, they don't do this anymore, and I think this is part of the reason why, because of the, the uh, um, show that was made in response to all of this. Um, but whenever they would ask, you, you want us to supersize that? That used to be a standard question. He had to answer by saying yes, which meant he would get the largest serving of fries and the biggest, you know, sugared drink that they had. And, and so he did this, being followed by at least three different doctors that, that did several uh, baseline tests and everything before he started, but at periodic times through the 30 days, you know, they were following up with him. And, you know, that didn't turn out so well for him. He, he got pretty sick, you know, before he was done with all of that. In fact, he was uh, beginning to be encouraged to drop out of it. You need to stop this, even by medical professionals, because of some of the effects that this was, was having on him. And, and I say all that just to, to, again, illustrate that you can't just willy-nilly just internalize anything that you want and think it's not going to have an impact on you. It's going to have an impact on you. You know, whether it, we're talking about food or whether we're talking about our mind, and what we're internalizing in our mind. We need to cooperate with the Spirit. We need to regularly um, um, intake what is wholesome, what is good, what is found in God's Word. I mean, you cannot overemphasize that. Jesus gave a good, good example in regards to how you should start a day of your life. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, in the morning long before sunrise, Jesus went to a place where he could be alone to pray. There's multiple verses that state this about Jesus. In fact, Luke chapter 5 says he frequently did this. He often did this. And so this was a pattern of behavior with Jesus. He knew that Whatever he thought about, first thing, early in the morning, was going to help set the tone for the day, was going to help set the pattern um, for his thinking the rest of the day. You know, he knew that, and so he started his days like this. And I think it would be wise for us to be inspired by that example. You may think, well, I'm not much of a morning person. Okay, well, you don't spend as much time, but you can still spend a little bit of time, whether it's reading half a chapter in the morning and, and just praying over that half chapter, or, or whether it's reading more substantial amounts. Early morning time is the primary time for me in my devotional reading of God's Word. Um, you know, here, here's another thought, maybe, uh, you know, kind of blending together, you know, some of this about memorizing Scripture uh, and meditating upon Scripture is make a list of your favorite verses and ask a few of your friends for what their favorite verses are and create a list and then take one verse from that list each day and write it down word for word on a piece of paper, you know, small enough paper that you can stick in your pocket, carry with you during the day, but you write it down, you pray over that, you read it several times, and then during the day, 
whether you're in the car and you're getting ready to go from point A to point B, you pull it out, look at it again, refresh your memory so you've got that to reflect on while you're driving or you're waiting at the doctor's office or if you're eating lunch by yourself or you know if in your work you have breaks or something or other and so you're getting a cup of coffee and you've got a 10 minute break that would be a good opportunity as well or for those of you that like to get out and walk or to jog you know have this take a look at it and you you're reflecting you're meditating on God's word and and just see if over the passage of time of doing that day after day, week after week, just see if maybe God starts to overhaul your mind. He starts to do his renovation work through his spirit. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. As we prepare for communion, again, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Each one of us should be able to look back over our shoulder if we've been a Christian any length of time. We should be able to look back and see that we've changed. If you've been a believer now for 10 years, you should be able to look back and see that you're different than you were 10 years ago. If you've been a believer for three years, you should be able to look back and see that you're different than you were three years ago. It all starts right here. And the thing is, the Lord knows your thoughts. David references that in Psalm 139. The Lord already knows your thoughts. You can't hide that from him. And so what David's reaction was, was just to open himself up and say, and Lord, in view of that, Search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. And if you see anything that's offensive, you see anything that shouldn't be there, lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer that coincides so well with Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's make that our prayer today. In fact, I'm going to ask Mark if you guys leave this slide up on the screen during this time of communion. Let's pray. Father, I am thankful for your word. And I'm thankful for the insight that we gain into what you're all about and what you're trying to accomplish in our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would find us being responsive, open, willing participants in what you're trying to accomplish in our lives. Might we cooperate Thank you so much for all that you've done for us. We celebrate that. While we take the bread and take the cup and we eat and we drink that and we're reminded of that all-important, critical, sacrificial gift that was given on the cross to free us from our sin, we know the least that we can do is give ourselves, including our minds, totally over to you and your purposes. Might you be glorified by the change that takes place in our lives. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.